Welcome to the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. In episode 126, we are looking at season 5 finale. That's season 5, episode 20, The End. The original broadcast date was May 17, 1998. The IMDb user score has risen from 8.8 to 9.0 out of 10. The opening sequence is shot and set in Vancouver. The rest is shot in Vancouver, Lower Mainland, B.C., but takes place in Maryland and Virginia. The episode was written by Chris Carter, and this was the final X-Files credit for producer and occasional director R.W. or Bob Goodwin. This was the final episode to be filmed in Vancouver, which is one of the reasons that they set the first scene in Vancouver. They figured Vancouver had been pretty much every other city, Why not show it as Vancouver before we go? We'll get into details about the whys and wherefores of the move from Vancouver to LA next week in the Season 5 wrap-up. For now, we're going to focus just on the parts of that move that are relevant to this specific episode. It is a tightly packed episode, featuring every major player that we've seen to date and introducing a few more. They made some big moves to wrap up this season and head into the first film which was just over a month away from release at this point. As we said, this episode aired on May 17th, 1998, and the first film, Fight the Future, came out on June 19th, 1998. So it's a pretty quick turnaround there. The episode introduces Gibson Praise, a telepathic or psychic boy, who can unambiguously read minds so consistently and accurately that even Scully is totally convinced he has this ability. He's the target of an assassination attempt that fails because he knows it's coming and is able to get out of the way of the shooter's line of fire, and his opponent in a chess tournament takes that bullet instead. Meanwhile, Krychek shows up in the mountains of Quebec to bring the cigarette-smoking man back to the syndicate, and from there, this cigarette-smoking man manipulates everything. He makes sure that Spender gets the assignment to run this. Spender tries to keep Mulder out of it, but Skinner brings him in. And Mulder's the one who spots the pushback. Agent Diana Fowley is also in the room, and she and Mulder share a couple looks that indicate that they probably knew each other before this scene, and she backs up Mulder's theory. While CSM is orchestrating things, the would-be assassin ends up killed while in custody. Spender finds out that the cigarette-smoking man is his father, because the cigarette-smoking man tells him. Mulder sees the two together, but doesn't know what their connection is, and now he really suspects Jeffrey Spender of being dirty. And in the ultimate endgame, the cigarette-smoking man lights fire to the X-Files, saving only Samantha Mulder's file, and essentially burns Mulder's office to a crisp. Now, part of the reason for that was the move to Vancouver. They knew how much scrutiny Mulder's bulletin board had been under, and they were afraid that they wouldn't be able to reproduce it by moving the sets from Vancouver to L.A. without the fans noticing. So they figured, well, if we burn it down, then that's not an issue. In the course of the investigation, Scully also goes to the lone gunman, and they tell her that Diana Fowley used to be Mulder's quote-unquote chickie, back when he first discovered the X-Files. But then they hadn't heard from her in years. We do find out during the course of the conversations with Fowley, Scully, and Mulder together 
that Fowley went overseas to work at an anti-terrorism group. So this is one of the stronger season finales, and I've found season five overall to be one of the stronger seasons, but we'll get into that more next week. A lot of it is just playing right into that upcoming movie and getting all the pieces in place. It even has at the end a conversation where they say that the X-Files project is probably going to be shut down by the powers that be. And that's when Mulder realizes they've been played from the start, all the pieces were in place, he didn't even see it. So he's a little disheartened at that point. Now, as for the cast and crew, there are a few notable guest stars. Mimi Rogers is probably the most successful of the guest stars. She and David Duchovny had previously worked together in The Rapture. She's known for playing Dr. Maureen Robinson in Lost in Space, Mrs. Smalls in Big Nothing, Pamela in Ginger Snaps, and Mrs. Kendington in the first Austin Powers movie. She's also been in Ash vs. the Evil Dead and a number of other things. 110 acting credits to her name, but to some people, she will always be best known as the first wife of Tom Cruise, who was her second husband. Her first husband being a major prominent person in the Church of Scientology. So Mimi Rogers is the one who introduced Tom Cruise to the religion of Scientology. And the less said about Scientology, the better. Jeff Gulka plays Gibson Praise. He is still acting fairly regularly. He's got 13 credits to his name, starting with an episode of Millennium in 97. We get Airbud, SG-1, Secret Agent Man, and this is his first of five X-Files appearances. I should have mentioned that Mimi Rogers has seven X-Files appearances to her name. Jeff Galka is, according to the IMDb, best known for his work on the X-Files once upon a time, where he plays a character named Munchkin Number One in one episode, he plays Lucky in one episode of Stan Helsing, which may even be a movie, and Charlie in an episode of SG One. So it looks like, as far as TV is concerned, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century as guest or additional voices was probably his most consistent work. Finally, Martin Ferrero plays the would-be assassin. He is best known to to some people for his work in Oscar, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Heat. To me, he will always be Donald Gennaro, the lawyer who gets eaten by the T-Rex while in the outhouse in the original Jurassic Park. And he may have retired from acting now that he's in his 60s and 70s. There was about a 10-year gap between some of his most recent works, and when he's come back, he's just played that Gennaro character from... Jurassic Park, either in video games or in spoofs. Now, I should also mention that if you go to the IMDb and read the trivia there, one note of trivia is that this is called The End because it was intended to be the series finale. I just wanted to bring that up because that's not true. During season three, Chris Carter talked about wrapping it up after season five. But part of the deal that got the movie made, and keep in mind the movie was filmed between seasons four and five, with the exception of a couple reshoots, but the principal photography was done. Part of that deal included the series renewal through seasons 6 and 7. So they knew that they were coming back for seasons 6 and 7 prior to season 5 even beginning. So I don't think that they would name 
the season five finale the end because it was meant to be the series finale. It was named the end because it was the end of the Vancouver era. And then the season six premiere was the beginning for the beginning of the LA era. There were times where Chris Carter went into an episode thinking it was going to be the series finale, and it wasn't. As to say, Times was actually just one of them, really. And that will be at the end of Season 7. We'll discuss that more when we get to it. Now, as far as the science is concerned, the only sort of extraterrestrial or extreme science piece that we have here is the science of mind reading. And that doesn't work if only one person has the mutation. You need mutations that both allow you to broadcast and to receive. So if you're the only person who has those mutations, you'll never know that you've got them. Right? If I'm not broadcasting my thoughts over a distance, then you would need to have a part of your body inside my skull, checking the arrangements of the neurons in order to read them. If my thoughts are being broadcast, then your brain needs to have a part or a structure designed to receive them. And that's why we need radios to read radio signals. Those are transmissions over a distance, but our bodies don't have the physical arrangements needed to receive them. So the only way telepathy works is that if you've got at least two people involved, one broadcaster and one receiver, or both people with both apparatus, so you need both of those mutations in place, and whoever is doing the broadcasting would be emitting extra energy and consuming extra calories to broadcast those signals. The only other science involved is the ancient aliens. That's blown a little bit out of proportion. The actual scientists who are looking at that in a respectable way aren't so much looking at, you know, an alien species crossbreeding with primates to produce the human species, as it's been proposed by some of the less respectable scientists, or less reputable at the very least. The reputable ones who are looking at, you know, alien influence on our DNA are looking more at life starting on Earth because life that developed elsewhere was on a meteor or asteroid that crash-landed on Earth, and it just grew and then evolved from there. At any rate, that's what we have to say about the end. Join us again next week for a Season 5 wrap-up, and then the week after that, when we take a look at the first X-Files feature film, Fight the Future. Thank you for listening.